It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From Fox News, it's The Campaign with Brett Baer. Over the weekend, counter-protesters clashed with Black Lives Matter protesters in Portland, Oregon, where hostilities escalated. One man was shot and killed. Oregon Governor Kate Brown announced on Sunday that Oregon State Police would return to Portland to aid local authorities amid escalating protests there. President Trump and his administration have heavily criticized Portland Mayor Ted Wheeler. Acting Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf saying Portland officials are, quote, failing to protect their communities. And President Trump tweeting, uh, calling the Portland mayor incompetent and encouraged bringing in the National Guard. Our socially distant panel is anxiously awaiting to discuss all of this and the presidential race. But first, Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey has been following Joe Biden on the campaign trail and gives us an update. Law and order is now front and center for Trump and Biden. Do I look like a radical socialist with a soft spot for rioters? Really? I want a safe America, safe from COVID, safe from crime and looting, safe from racially motivated violence, safe from bad cops. The Trump campaign thinks he does, arguing this. Rioting is not protesting. Looting is not protesting. Setting fires is not protesting. None of this is protesting. It's lawlessness, plain and simple. And those who do it should be prosecuted. Didn't go far enough, with a spokesman saying, among other things, quote, he failed to apologize for his campaign staff donating to a fund which bailed violent criminals out of jail in Minneapolis. The fact Biden left Delaware at all represents a shift from a week and a half ago. Chris Wallace pressed Deputy Campaign Manager Kate Bedingfield about what changed on Fox News Sunday. But answer my question, very clear he, he said he said he said a week ago that he could win the election from home. He's, he was asked that. He said, we will. We'll follow the science. Now he's going to go on a big campaign trip. That's just that's just disingenuous, Chris. He said we will win by following the science. That's what we've done from the outset. That's what we'll continue to do. Biden's event Monday was closed to the press, but dozens of supporters still gathered, hoping to catch a glimpse of him from a social distance outside as inside the former VP kept his focus on Trump. He keeps telling you, if only he was president, it wouldn't happen. If he was president, he keeps telling us that he was president, you'd feel safe. Well, he is president, whether he knows it or not. In Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Peter Ducey, Fox News. President Trump announced plans to visit Kenosha, Wisconsin soon, possibly Tuesday, to survey the city in the wake of protests following the shooting of Jacob Blake. This potential visit would come on the heels of President Trump's visit to Louisiana and Texas on Saturday to survey the damage caused by Hurricane Laura. The president has experienced a bump in recent polling following the Republican National Convention. Also, the betting odds changed significantly. And with the first presidential debate just a month away, or at least we think so, the candidates must prepare while arguing for their vision for America as unrest continues in several parts of the country. We'll start there with our panel. Democratic strategist, syndicated talk radio host Leslie Marshall, political editor at the National Journal, Josh Kraschauer, and Fox News politics editor Chris Steyerwald. Uh, Chris, this race has changed. Um, has the race changed or has 
Biden had to accept the realities of the race. It it's, shifted. It's, Let's. How about um, you want me to say not changed? It's, no, no, no. It, it's it's, it, it's a it's an interesting. Neither one is wrong. It's a it's an interesting way. What this race has been has been shockingly constant. We remember from 2016. We're up. We're down. Back and forth. Back and forth. Uh, Trump and Clinton even swapped the lead for a minute in August. And there was a lot more volatility in the race. This time, what we've, what we, we don't know what the conventions have done to the polling. There's no polling out to tell us how things are now. But we know that going into the conventions, that Trump had gotten nationally about a two-point boost from where he had been before that brought the national gap down to eight. We saw that in a Franklin and Marshall poll in Pennsylvania that was out. Uh, God bless them for trying to survey during the conventions. Uh, but that was out last week that took Trump from down nine to down seven. So I think that was the, 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 the state of the race going into it was that Trump had some momentum. Biden was holding steady at 50 or above, but Trump was making a move down there. So we'll see whether he juiced that. Leslie, the focus on violence in various cities, obviously, we've been talking about it a lot. Uh, the president has talked about it for several weeks. It was a factor in the Republican convention. It was not mentioned in the Democratic convention. But yet now uh, Joe Biden is out with a speech condemning the violence, saying protests are not riots. Looting is not acceptable. Uh, a pretty firm speech in Pennsylvania today. But at the end of it, like all of the speeches Biden's given, no questions for reporters, no answers provided, um, and no reporters seem to have a problem with it. Well, reporters don't have a problem with it, but when you see the the, the tiny shifts, and obviously 2% in a poll is within the margin of error, uh, so I'm going to be with Chris on maybe it hasn't you know changed or shifted uh, that much. But when you have a race that is so close, I mean, the country is so divided. Look, you know, one day you have Joe Biden up by like 1%, but in those battleground states, it is a virtual tie pretty much, and it has been consistently that. Uh, former Vice President Joe Biden has to take questions. Uh, the, the voters want to hear that, and especially voters that are undecided or might not be happy with Donald Trump's handling. You know, I. Think but Leslie, let me interrupt you. If they if they're not hearing pushback from the media at these various events, and they're not getting pressure to answer questions, why would they put them out there to answer questions? They have to. I, I, they know that they have to because, he, look, if he had an incredible lead, Brett, then I would say, hey, it's not broken. Don't fix it. But it, it, it is broken, isn't it? I mean, if you are neck and neck and right now, I think a smart thing is they're saying, do you feel safe in Donald Trump's America? I think it's a smart shift in, in messaging for my party. But Joe Biden can't stay home. Joe Biden, I know, is in Pittsburgh today. He needs to get out there, especially uh, to a state like Wisconsin, and he needs to answer not just the voters' questions, but the press, the journalists' questions. And I said it before, he should sit down with you. He should sit down with Chris Wallace. If I were advising him, I'd have him out there a lot. Uh, look, I'm sorry, neither Donald Trump or Joe Biden are rocket scientists, okay? Um, but the American people need to hear the answers to the questions that the media can pose. Yeah, I guess I'm just saying that the contrast between Donald Trump, who you can like his answers or not like his answers, but he takes every question and he sat down with ABC, NBC. He hasn't sat down with CNN. He's obviously sat down with us, Chris Wallace, taking tough questions, and he does it every single day, Josh. There is a contrast here that's developing, and people are saying, wait a second, where are the Biden questions? 
Yeah, and, and the president is going to be in Kenosha this week on, on, on Tuesday. So I, I, the way the Biden campaign looks at it is they, they want the president to they, they view that the president can often be overexposed and will say things that may get beyond where the political sweet spot is. So, you know, I'd be stunned if Biden doesn't go to Wisconsin, doesn't go to Kenosha, given how important Wisconsin is in this election. Uh, but I also would say that, you know, the reason Joe Biden gave the speech he did this week and the reason he pivoted somewhat to to the center is he knows that. I mean, I, I always believe that actions speak louder than the polls and the fact that you have Biden giving the speech today. But also he's spending money in Minnesota, a state that uh, Hillary Clinton won in 2016. He's not just spending money there, but he's going to be visiting Minnesota in the next week, which is you know also the, another hot spot where these riots and, and social unrest has taken place. I mean, even if the race hasn't entirely changed, Though they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't see movement in the polls, if they didn't see their own tracking suggest that these these Midwestern states that were so important to Trump's victory in 2016, that there wasn't a little movement back in the Republican direction. So does this sell? Does violence that's happening in Donald Trump's America, does that messaging, Chris, work? Because I guess the, the converse of that is if Joe Biden's elected, the mob is going to stop. The violence will stop. And why would that be? Yeah, this is a tricky one to play because, and this is quite frankly why people generally avoid, have generally avoided this stuff because there are, as the old fashioned way, the ill humors, uh, as the founders would have talked about, are very potent when you're talking about issues of race, you're talking about issues of urban violence. Um, Certainly, uh, as George H.W. Bush proved in 1988, uh, that violent crime is a potent issue. Michael Dukakis, of all of the ways that Michael Dukakis lost that race, for the Bush campaign, they realized, Willie Horton had to, to really say that Michael Dukakis is soft on crime at a time when Americans were very worried about crime was quite potent. So there's a lot of upside here in this allegation for Trump. But there's a downside, which you alluded to, and that is he's the president. And I still haven't heard anything from Trump that sounds like a good pitch that if I am reelected, this will go away. And in fact, one would imagine that if Trump is reelected, this will continue. But wait a minute. What about the flip side? What about the pitch that Joe Biden says, you know, this is Donald Trump's America saying in Joe Biden's America, this is not going to happen. So how does the mob suddenly stop on Joe Biden's America? Well, I don't suppose that either Joe Biden or Donald Trump could in actuality do anything uh, about this because this is a local these are these are local and state crime is a local and state issue. The, my point is that for Trump, he's got to say, here's what I'm, I'm going to do. So this ends um, because whether they blame him for it or not, he needs to be seen as saying, I have a plan to fix this. I'm the incumbent. Uh, this is out of hand. And here's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Leslie, I guess my question is more about that phrasing, you know, Donald Trump's America with the riots and looting in Baltimore. Was that Barack Obama's America? I guess it could be argued that it was, but that's not what's going on now. Barack Obama isn't running. Look, when you have four days of Republicans supposedly talking about how great this nation is, and we are a great nation, but we're not having some great times. When we look at COVID numbers, unemployment numbers, when we look at violence and unrest and looting and rioting, I agree with Chris 100%. You can't say Joe Biden or Donald Trump, left or right, elect me and this will go away because it won't. That's a reality. Voters aren't stupid. But what you can say is 
the, look, what you can say is you can't say uh, make America great again, again, as they're saying, when right now, although we are a great nation, these things that are happening are not great. And there is no plan going forward to change it. And if there was, then how come we're not doing it now? There, here's the problem I see that either candidate hasn't touched upon. And Joe Biden really has the opportunity to do this and sink his teeth into this, as the Democratic Party does. The real problem, Brett, we know is it, it's the reason this won't go away is the problem is the underlying problem that brings about the violence, whether the fringe elements on the far left or the far right. And that is what people were marching about, marching about racial injustice, marching about systemic racism. And until somebody addresses that or proposes to address that, I fear we're going to see this continuing for some time. Yeah. Um, the president sitting down with Laura Ingram, uh, she brings up the fact that uh, Joe Biden says in Pittsburgh that uh, you're not going to be saving Donald Trump's America. He says... If it weren't for Donald Trump's America, to use that expression, uh, you would have riots like you've never seen before. The Democrats have lost control of the radical left. Uh, He goes on to say, don't forget, Biden wasn't going to come out of his basement until the election. Now he had to because the polls are turning for me. Now he had to because the polls are different. Um, Josh, we're 65 days, 64 days away. Uh, As I said in this podcast many times, we're about 3,000 news cycles away from election day. But this seems to have taken over at least the time we're in right now. And we're still dealing with COVID, but it seems to have taken the the oxygen. Yeah, it it is a resonant issue. I think a lot of the the campaign is going to be decided on whether voters punish the president for his handling of the coronavirus. A lot of people think he hasn't handled it well, but I think they also believe that there are limitations to what any leader could do, given given the scope of uh, and scale of, of the pandemic across the world. Or and is is the president doing enough? And is his rhetoric on law and order, you know, enough to to make a difference in in terms of that issue? And and, and there was a lot of polls that show that violent crime, the notion of law and order are rising as, as a leading issue in this in this campaign in the eyes of voters. I think Chris made an important point in terms of like, what can the president do? What can Joe Biden do? I thought Biden actually made an interesting statement today, or an interesting statement in his speech when he said that uh, those who are committing the rioting and the vandalism should be prosecuted. I mean, one thing that Trump could do that maybe he hasn't as effectively communicated so far is targeting some of these district attorneys in big cities, these very progressive district attorneys who have chosen not to prosecute or to to let out some of these low level crimes. I mean, I remember back in the 90s, you know, the, the, the theory of the broken windows theory of crime, where you basically stop rioting and you stop violence by targeting a lot of these smaller crimes that lead to the larger violence and larger unrest. And, you know, the, 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 the issue that Trump is trying to art- articulate is that Biden is being held captive by the left of his party. And you have this rising tide of these very progressive district attorneys that are kind of going against what, what Biden talked about this week. So I think Trump may have some success if he can kind of exploit that divide between the Biden rhetoric and some of the policies, some of the local uh, DA uh, strategies in, in these big cities where you have this this degree of law and order. Or yeah, I'm, 
I, I think that's a good point, Josh. I, I, Chris, you have some of these district attorneys who are f- uh, refusing to prosecute the people that, that are arrested, frustrating some of the law enforcement in those places that are dealing with it. You have Kamala Harris and others raising money for bailout funds uh, for some of the protesters. They haven't kind of gone back on that, but they've changed the messaging and what they're talking about and how they're talking about it. And uh, until today... You didn't hear about this. I mean, there were a couple of snippets. The former vice president put out a a Twitter video, but in the DNC, none of this was mentioned. It's a it's a tricky space for Biden because obviously he has a good defense to be made here um, that he is, in fact, a law and order, tough on crime Democrat. He has a track record to back it up. So does Kamala Harris. But they don't want to talk about those things because those things alienate the very voters who they're working so hard to energize, particularly African-American men. So the one of the big things for Biden, if they can get the kind of participation rates from African-American men in the upper Midwest, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, that is even it doesn't even have to be as good as Obama had. If he can get that kind of African-American engagement, uh, then it's great. But right now is a season where even in these these very upper Midwest states that African-American voters who watch these videos have had it with the police. Right. They're they're over it. And so Biden wants to send a message. Yes, obviously, to the suburban voters to say, look at my record. I was the one who did the tough on sentencing. I'm I'm Mr. Law and Order Democrat. Look at Harris's record. But they can't say it because if they do, they're afraid that they'll suppress turnout. And that's really the bind that Trump is trying to exploit here. We'll hear from our panel after this. Hey, it's Clay Travis. Join me for Outkick the Show as we dive deep into a mix of topics. New episodes available Monday to Friday on your favorite podcast platform and watch directly on outkick.com forward slash watch. Also exploiting just geography, the Biden campaign confirming that Joe Biden is going, uh, Leslie, to Minnesota, and they're also confirming that they're going up on TV in the Twin Cities, Duluth, and Rochester. It's a fairly big buy as far as ads early, and it's not that early, but I mean, they're going up specifically in Minnesota, a state that Hillary Clinton won in 2016. They must see some movement there for Biden to visit, for them to be spending money, and that's a big state that Trump thinks that there's promise in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, look, you know, if somebody starts buying up, you know, ad space and spending this type of money and is going to visit, um, you, you know that they they sense it's not in the bag. But then again, I think also when you look at 2016, even when you thought it was in the bag, um, it, it, you can't trust it. I mean, we can't really trust the polling because we, we don't know if there's that, uh, you know, silent voter out there this time, whether, you know, for or against Donald Trump, like like we saw in 2016. Look, Joe Biden has got to visit every single state. That, it's a 50-state race, right? So, yeah, maybe you skip a California. You know, maybe you skip a Massachusetts, you know, really blue states. But you just can't mess, just like Bill Clinton had told Hillary uh, back in 2016, don't forget about the disenfranchised white working-class voter, the blue-collar voter, the middle class. You can't do that. That's what put Trump in the White House in 2016. It could put him back into the White House again in 2020. Uh, Democrats know that. Joe Biden should know that. And Joe Biden is perceived as one of their own being from Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, by by the blue collar community. So he could do quite well there and certainly should do that. He should be doing what he's doing in Minnesota and other states as well that are very close, like Pennsylvania, where he was speaking today. 
I'll be going to Scranton tomorrow, uh, interviewing the vice president there. He's got an event there, and then I'll be kind of bouncing around and talking to some folks in Scranton about uh, what's on their mind as far as issues that matter to them. We've been there before, and um, obviously it's a state that's very important, uh, and a city, obviously, that has history with uh, Joe Biden. Josh, let me wrap up. It seems that no matter what you thought about the messaging from the Republican National Convention, that focus on... Uh, the blue-collar worker, the speeches by the Maine lobsterman, by the dairy farmer in Wisconsin, by the cattle rancher out west, by the African-Americans that were in every night's uh, presentation, including Herschel Walker and a long list of others, including the Kentucky Attorney General, seemed to be packaged in a way that moved the needle to help Trump. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty effective convention, mostly because you didn't have Trump 100% of the time saying the same things he says all the time. You had ordinary people who articulated the themes that Republicans and the president talk about, but don't always get the message across in the most effective way. And I thought the Democratic convention, while I think staged fairly well, was geared, was, it really was almost identical to the Clinton convention four years earlier, where they may have tried to appeal to voters in the middle, but they kind of ignored the Obama-Trump voter in the Midwest, the middle class, working class voter that was so important in the last election. And it feels like they forgot the lesson of 2016 and how they staged and the message that they really put forward in that convention. So, you know, I thought that that was the, the biggest contrast. The Republicans looked at the Democratic convention. They saw the vacuum in talking about law and order, and they ran that message through aggressively, but they also really focused on not putting forward politicians, elected officials, the establishment, which Trump has always railed against in his entire career. And they tried to focus more on those average Joes that are so important to winning these battleground states. If this race continues to tighten, and if, you know, I I mentioned the betting odds, and I like looking at those, so does Britt Hume. Uh, Chris, if Trump improves nationally, and particularly in these battleground states, do some of these Republican Senate candidates change their calculation in how they run the race? It seems like there had been some distance from some of them. Do they change that strategy? Well, the... So you have basically three groups of uh, Republican Senate candidates. You've got Martha McSally and Cory Gardner, who it looks like they're a long way from the clubhouse, man. Uh, And it probably doesn't matter what they do, at least at this point uh, in Arizona and Colorado. But for the others, for uh, Tom Tillis in North Carolina, uh, for Joni Ernst in Iowa, for Susan Collins in Maine, these are the majority makers. These races are the majority makers for Democrats is where they're resting their hopes. For them, it's tricky because, as we see in North Carolina, it's tough for Trump there. And Tillis didn't go to the convention and he didn't come around. Whereas on Ernst's side, she made a decision that despite Trump's not performing as well in Iowa as he was four years ago, that she was she appeared in the convention video. She was all in. So it's it's a tough call for these candidates to make because what's what feels good or right today can boomerang on you in a week because things are going to get really, really weird. Yeah, they're going to get weird. Listen, last thing, Leslie, you know, we used to be Democrats and some in the media were saying it was a quote unquote right wing talking point that Joe Biden doesn't want to do debates. And then suddenly there were these op eds and then suddenly Nancy Pelosi comes out and says, you know, don't tell anybody, but I would advise Joe Biden not to do the debates. 
that doesn't happen in a vacuum. You know, it doesn't happen just by itself. Whether that's a trial balloon or something, whether it's Nancy Pelosi just trying to get under Donald Trump's skin, whoever, whatever it is, you're convinced that Biden's going to agree to the debates. He said so, but there's still this doubt whether it's actually going to happen. He's going to do the debates, just like on, you know, the right people poo-poo and the left say that Donald Trump, if he loses, won't leave the White House. Yeah, and, exactly. You know, Republicans say he will leave the White House. Joe Biden is going to debate. Uh, you know, one thing about being a career politician as he is, um, he, he knows the game. He, he knows the rules. He knows that the voters need that. He knows he could pick up some votes with that. You know, people may laugh, but sometimes Joe Biden shows his strengths when he's pressed. I think that no malarkey shooting from the hip style, similar to Donald Trump's, actually could benefit him with some of those people on the fence uh, who would watch the debates when you see these guys, uh, you know, just go you know, crazy and go off on one another. And, and I think people definitely will tune in for that. I think he better Nancy start getting Pelosi- some reps in. He better start getting <laughs> some practice in answering actual I think, questions. I think Nancy Pelosi was baiting Donald Trump, poking the bear. That's what I if I had to if I had to bet or guess, that's what I think was going on. Um, there's always a concern when your candidate debates. People hold their breath when Donald Trump debates just as much as Joe Biden, I think, coming up uh, this fall. But no, Joe Biden said he would. His campaign has said he would. He knows he has to uh, do that. He, he's not going to change the game at this point. And standing in energy producing Western Pennsylvania, in addition to the message, Josh, today, Monday, of riots are not good, looting is not good. Biden says, I am not for banning fracking. You know, clearly (laughs) that must be having an impact. You know, Kamala Harris is, but she's running on the Joe Biden agenda now, and he wants to make sure they know he's not for banning fracking. And he didn't just say it, Brett, but he almost screamed it a few times to to underscore the point. Look, Republicans have been airing ads already uh, trying to hit Biden on, on energy and tying him to, to the Green New Deal, the left wing of his party's uh, environmental policies. So that's a big issue. That, that's a big problem for Democrats in, in Western Pennsylvania. So Biden, this was his pivot to the center speech. He, he was talking on law and order, race but also on energy production, which is a major issue in a lot of those Midwestern battlegrounds as well. And he wanted to make sure you can't just say, I'm against the Green Deal, that's not enough. You've got to actually show that you're supporting of a lot of the the policies that have led to to tremendous job growth and a renaissance in many of these small towns and communities across the Midwest. All right, guys, it's gonna be a fascinating ride. 65, 64 days. Thank you. Here's a bit of campaign trivia. August 16th, 1976, the Republican National Convention held in Kansas City, Missouri. Going into the convention, incumbent President Gerald Ford faced a difficult primary challenge after he had won the plurality of the vote, but not enough delegates to secure the nomination. President Ford narrowly defeated the challenge at the convention from former California Governor Ronald Reagan, earning 52% of the nominee vote over Reagan's 47%. That'll do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Leslie and Josh and Chris, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time.
I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com.